Hey everybody, this is Theo's producer, Aaron, on the mic for a quick second just to let you know that Theo's guest this episode, Joe, he's got a powerful story to share. But if you are a sensitive listener, I want to give you a heads up that Joe uses some strong language and his story also includes a telling of childhood sexual trauma. Okay, here's Theo. Hello everyone, I'm Theo Hill. Welcome back to One Day at a Time in Recovery in Baltimore. I want to let you know that we're recording this episode from my home. I have three beautiful grandchildren who live here with us. You might hear a little noise from them, so thank you for your patience with that. Welcome to my home, listeners. I want to congratulate uh, everybody who's uh, gotten so far through this pandemic of staying clean. I understand that, and I'm going through this with with everybody, with y'all, and um, the main thing is just to keep it moving. Okay, I would like to introduce my my guest for this evening, and um, it's a very distinguished gentleman who we've become real close over the last like six, seven months, and uh, his name is Joe. How you doing? Joe. I'm good, Joe. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, please tell me a little bit about yourself, your family, what your life was like for you when you were young. All right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the youngest of eight kids. I have a, a foster brother. You know, my father, he worked at the shipyard. My mother, she was an accountant. You know, they owned a bar. They owned a store. You know, they put me, my sister, and my nephew through Catholic school. And, you know, they, they taught us morals and values, mm-hmm. you know. And um, my father was uh, alcoholic. You know, he was abusive. You know, he used to beat on my mother. And I seen this at a young age. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I wanted it all to stop. I just didn't know how to stop it, you know what I mean? And, you know, you know when I got like 11, that's when I just like, you know, I had enough. And I stood up to my father, mm. and, you know, he, he listened, you know what I mean? And, you know, he stopped drinking the hard liquor, and, you know, and he stopped abusing my mother. You know, I mean, he still drank, but he never came home being abusive to my mother or, you know, to my sister or to mm-hmm. my nephew or to me, you know. And me and my father really ain't really have, like, a father-son relationship he would always tell my sisters and my brothers and my nephew and all of them that he loved them, mm-hmm. you know, but he never told me that he loved me, you know, and I bear his name. And, um, you know, I was molested by my father. Um, you know, that went on f- for a good four or five years, you know, and, you know, my father would let his friend molest me. You know, that was hard, you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, you know, sitting there begging for my father, you know, to stop letting this guy do this to me mm-hmm. and, and that, you know, and he just stood there with this shitty grin on his face like, you know, I'm not doing nothing. You know, I'm going to let him do what he wants to do, you know, and I wanted to kill my father, mm-hmm. you know, and I tried. You know, I took my uh, depression medicine and, you know, my arthritis medicine and I mixed it in his coffee and mm-hmm. I was hoping and praying that, you know, he would drink it mm-hmm. and die. You know, 
But, you know, when he made his coffee and the stuff was floating in his coffee, you know, he, he dumped it out. The angel on my shoulder was like, thank God he didn't drink it. But the devil on my shoulder right. was like, I wish the hell he yeah, would have drank it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that, was a real, that was a real hard time, you know what I mean, in my life. And when I told my mother about it, it was like she didn't believe it. Mm. You know, none of my other brothers and sisters know about it, you know, because I really didn't feel that it, I had to explain anything to right. them or let them know. You know what I mean? You know, that's one of the main reasons why I use drugs. Okay. You know what I mean? Was because of that, you know, that pain and that hurt. Yes. And, um, you know, my, my brother, well, as my brother-in-law, you know, at, at age of five, you know, he put a gun to mine in my sister's head. And, you know, he made us smoke weed. Wow. And, you know, it that was a traumatic thing of its own. And... You know, I didn't know what to do. It's like, you know, I'm standing at the top of the stairway and I'm dizzy and I'm sick. You know, mm -hmm. I'm throwing up all over the place. Like, you know, what the hell, you know, what's going on? You know, and, and that was a scary situation because, you know, we could have lost our life if we didn't do what he wanted us to do, you know? And, um, you know, I told my parents about that and they didn't want to believe it. You know, like my first addiction, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, was fire. You know, I set my house on fire when I was four years old. You know, I was like Linus that had the little blanket, you know, yeah. carried around. Yeah. You know, I sucked my thumb. And, you know, I had to have this blanket when I went to sleep. And the one night my mom washed it and I couldn't go to sleep and I'm tossing and turning and I'm like, I need my blanket. So I go down and get it off the clothesline. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I take it upstairs and then... You know, I throw the blanket on and I got this string going across my face and I'm like, how am I going to get this string off my blanket? So, you know, me and my father shared a room. So I grabbed this Zippo lighter mm -hmm. and instead of lighting it where the blanket is, I lit it at the other end and I just watched it. The flame just grow and then mm. it, you know, my blanket caught on instantly. And I threw it on the bed and... You know, I'm just watching my cot go up in flames and the flames riding, and I'm just astounded by this, and I'm like, wow, you know what I mean? And at the same time, I'm like, damn, maybe I should wake my father up, you know? So I woke him up, and he mm -hmm. got up, and he's running in the bathroom with them little Dixie cups and filling it up with water and coming in trying to throw it out, and, and I'm just standing there amazed at how the fire is just growing in the house. You know, and I almost killed my whole family. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know no better. Right. You know, and, um, you know, that, that, that played, you know, a big role in, in me using to, you know. Right. And, um, you know, so, you know, we moved from there. This, this was over in Waverly. So we moved over to South Baltimore on Fort Avenue. And, you know, my grandmother passed away Christmas Eve of 78. So January 79, we moved into the neighborhood of Pigtown. And, you know, before they built Mount Clare Junction, there was woods back there, and I was always lighting the woods on fire, you know, because I was astounded by it. I, I loved it, you know, and not knowing that I'm putting people at risk and mm -hmm. lives in danger, you know, I didn't care. You know, so I got, I got diagnosed as a pyro. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, I had to go to Walter P. Carter Center. Mm -hmm. and, light these matches till they burnt my fingers you know and it's just like 
I learned not to play with matches no more, you know, and I learned that the dangers of what a fire would do with somebody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, you know, so I stopped, you know, and, you know, that, that was my first addiction, you know, and then, you know, my brother at the age of 13, you know, I was smoking weed and I was, you know, drinking mm-hmm. once in a great, great while, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, but my brother introduced me to crack. Wow. Yeah. At 13? At 13, you know, and, you know, I went to Cardinal Gibbons High School. Right. You know what I mean? Wanted, you know, and I wanted to play football. I wanted to play baseball with him. And, you know, my dreams went straight down the drain because, you know, my brother's like, here, man, try this weed. This is better than that weed. You know, and I'm not knowing, you know, I'm dumbfounded when it comes to drugs, you know, and I hit it and I fell in love with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I couldn't stop. It it ruined my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, at the age of 15, I robbed this guy. Mm-hmm. I took a good sum of money from him. You know, I cut him up, you know, almost killed him. And I was facing... 85 years, no parole at the age of 17, you know, because I went on the run for two years, you know, and I got tired of looking over my shoulder, Mm -hmm. so I did what my mother wanted me to do, and I turned myself in, you know, when I went in court, and uh, my mom's in the courtroom, and when the judge offered me 85 years, no parole, it's like my heart fell through my ass, you know, I I was scared, I was Mm -hmm. petrified. You know what I mean? I'm like, shit, I'll never come home. You right. Know, I'll never see the daylight. You know, but I you know, I fought I fought the case and, you know, eventually I I just got nine years, four months. And, you know, I did eight and a half years down Eastern Correctional Institution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was like the longest I stayed clean, you know what I mean? Because I didn't get high in there. Right. And that's where I was introduced you know what I mean the NA okay you know, I yeah. went to the I went to the NA meetings in there you know I would go to church there mm-hmm. you know I was I was programming you know as as they call it you know what I mean because I wanted to get out you know what I mean I didn't I didn't want to stay there no longer than I had to ended up getting my GED mm-hmm. from Eastern Correctional Institution and I did everything that I had to do you know I was able to play ball there I was on a varsity softball team you know and you know, I was on a varsity football mm-hmm. team, so you know, it, some things came out good out of the yeah. prison stint, but yeah. you know, other things didn't. You know, I, I seen a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, in prison, I remember my first day in population. I come out, come out in the population, and guy stabs a guy forty times over a roll right cigarette. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, wow. I'm like, does this really, you know? Yeah. And I, like I said, I've never been to prison, so it like, it shocked me. I'm like, damn, this shit really does happen in prison. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it scared me. Mm-hmm. So that's why I did what I had to do. Like, man, I got to get up out of here. When I got out, yeah, I had, you know, I had five years parole. And, yeah. you know, I started smoking weed. And, you know, my mother always told me, she's like, boy, you are going to go right back to that stuff. You're going to go right back to that stuff. And I'm like, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But she did. Yeah. You know, so when I got off parole, the first thing I did is went and got me a bag of dope. 
from there on, it was just all downhill. All downhill. I lost everything. You know, I, I stole from my parents. You know, anything that wasn't bolted down, and even exactly. if it was bolted down, yeah. I got it. You know, my mom was an avid Elvis Presley fan. I took her whole collection, man. Her whole collection. Yeah, it's something you can't get back. No, nah, it's not. It's not. And, you know, some of the stuff that I sold, I actually sold to wow. a friend of the family. But he ended up giving it back to her. Well, that's a blessing. Just still just thinking of it. It makes me emotional. I can relate. You know, my, 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 fam my parents didn't raise us. Right. To be thieves. Yes, stealing. Yeah. Drug addicts. The decision, you know, all the decisions that I've made, I made on my own. Mm -hmm. My drug addiction, I blame on myself. Okay. You know, because I'm the one that made the de right. made that decision. Right. You know what I mean? To hit that joint. You know what I mean? Or to smoke that coke. You know, nobody forced me to put that needle in my arm. Right. Nobody forced me to put that pipe in my mouth. You know, I did that on my own. You know, because the pain inside me, yes. you know what I mean, was unbearable. You know, and when I and when I used, it took that pain away. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I felt so good. Like, I could communicate with people. You know what I mean? And then when it wore off, the, eventually... The pain came it, back, and it yeah. was 20 times worse yes. than what it was before. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and I just that, that's what I would do. I would just mash that mash that pain with getting high, and you know, and, and until you know it almost killed me. So what finally caused you to do something about your addiction? Well, it was October 31st, 2018. Mm-hmm. I OD'd and died in my 14-year-old daughter's arms. Wow. And, you know, when they came and hit me with the Narcan right. and brought me back, you know, I had my head was laying in my daughter's lap, and, you know, my daughter's looking down at me mm -hmm. crying, and I see the pain and the misery in her, in her face, you know, and then she's looking down at me telling me, Daddy, you ain't nothing but a fucking junkie. You don't love me and my brother. You ain't my father. You ain't nothing but a dolphin. You know, and that hurt. Yeah, that cut that cut right through. Man, it ripped my heart right yes. out of my chest. You know, and then I was like, you know what? Yes. It's time for you me to get my shit made right. A decision. So I made the decision. November the second. Mm -hmm. 2018, mm -hmm. I went into detox. Now, the, I was high as shit when I went in there. Yeah, but you went in there. But I went in, you know, and I had a fentanyl habit. Mm. You know, it wasn't no dope habit. Right. I had a fentanyl habit. Right, so that's like it's, 10 or 20 times more. Yes, yeah. yes. So, you know, when I'm in there, you know, they, they got to give you this they it's like a grading chart. Like mm -hmm. when you get to so many points, then you can get the subutex. You know what I mean? For the withdrawal. So I told I told the nurse, I said, I don't want it. They're like, what do you mean you don't want it? And I'm like, I don't want it. 
She goes, well, you know you're going to be really sick. Yeah, you're going to feel the pain. You're going to feel the pain. And I said, well, well, that's what I need to do. Yeah. Well. You know, I was just looking at the pain in my daughter's eyes. Yeah. So that was holding. Yes. That, so was, that, that was holding you. Yes. And that and motivating you at the same time that you had to get clean. Right. I got clean. I went to uh, BCRI, you know, seven-day detox, and I went through the withdrawals, cold turkey, Mm -hmm. no subutex, no volumes, nothing to help me sleep, nothing. I wanted to feel it. Right. I wanted to feel the pain that my daughter felt, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I did, Mm -hmm. you know, so... When I got released from there, um, you know, I went home for two days until the bed opened at the treatment center that I, you know, wanted to go in mm-hmm. at, at Shoemaker. And I went to Shoemaker. And, you know, I was in Shoemaker's and I was really like, eh, do I really want to do this? Mm-hmm. Or do I really mm-hmm. not want to do this? Yeah. You know, I, I was confused. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my disease is telling me, Nah, just go ahead and leave. Go, go, go ahead and one. get high. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But then I got, you know, my subconscious telling me, nah, bro, you don't need to do you, this you shit, just, man. You just went look at, look at all this shit you just did to your yeah, daughter. Exactly. You know what I mean? You just went through all this pain and agony. Right. You know, and so this guy came in for H&I, mm-hmm. and he's now my sponsor. And, you know, when he came in, he shared his message, and, you know, Theo... The whole time during that meeting, the hairs on the back of my neck were standing yeah, up. That was meant for you. And, you know, there was this older black guy. He was a counselor there. And uh, he seen me crying. And he's like, we need to talk. So he took me in his office. And he's like, I already know what it is. I'm just waiting for you to tell me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, that deep, dark secret that you're holding back. I said, I I don't know what you're talking about. Right. He goes, oh, no, you know what I'm talking about. So how long did it happen for? And I'm looking at him. You know, tears are starting to roll down my eyes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this man really knows. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm forever grateful to this guy, Mr. Derek, you know, and... You know, I told him what happened. Okay, pain shared. It's pain pain lesson. Right. Yes, sir. So he's like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I was molested too. Right, okay. Share a little bit of his story. Right. And, you know, it it motivated me. Like, I'm like, you know what? I'm not the only one. Because I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one that got molested. You know what I mean? And. You know, when he pulled that out of me, uh, yeah. I felt all the weight lift up off my shoulders, you know, because it was holding me down. Right. It was. And then he told me, you know, he was like, you know, Joe, what I want you to do is tomorrow morning when y'all have your your meeting, your group, mm-hmm. I want you to let everybody know. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not, no, no, I'm not, right. I'm not doing that. He goes, no. He said, you think the pain is lessened now? He said, wait until you tell everybody. Right. So when the meeting happened in the morning, 
you know, I was real, you know, my disease just told me, nah, you don't need to let exactly. nobody know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I, I came out with it. And he was 150% right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pain. You let it go. I let it go. You let it go, Joe. You know, and like when my father was on his deathbed, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that I was able to do was forgive him mm-hmm. for what he did to me. You know, and I needed that to free myself. Right. You know, right. and. What's your recovery like now for you? Oh, man. <sighs> Let me tell you something. You know, November 3rd of this year, I'll mm-hmm. have three years clean. Mm-hmm. C- congratulations. Thank you. And to be honest with you, this is the best three years of my life. Yes. I'm, I'm engaged. Yes. I have a job. I have yes. a, I have a brand-new truck. You know, I have money in my pocket. You know, that's all material shit. Yes. But I've never had any of that. Right. And, you know, it's truly a blessing, you know, from the program of Narcotics Anonymous, mm-hmm. you know, the the life that it's given me. Wow, Joe. I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. No problem. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to thank the listeners. I want to thank you for being with us on this episode of One Day at a Time in Recovery in Baltimore. I'm Theo Hill, and let's talk again soon.